Well, hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Paul Henderson, the administrative pastor at Capstone Church, and today I'm joined by senior pastor Parky Coburn. How are you today, Parky? I'm doing great. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I feel good. Well, um, for, for those of y'all out there, this is our very first podcast that we are launching, and we're launching it during Holy Week. How about that? I mean, that's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, that all is. of this has come together yeah, great week. during uh, the most Holy Week um, in the calendar. And the podcast is going to be talking about things that are kind of outside of the normal biblical type things. I mean, it's all going to be biblically based, but we're going to talk about things that are on the fringe, like some of those things that we don't really necessarily think about and how they impact our lives. Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do is talk about things from scientific evidence um, and talk about things from biological evidence and what happens biologically to certain things and pull that into how is that practical to us uh, today? Because a lot of things that we talk about in the Bible seem very ancient to us and they seem kind of on the fringe. Uh, some of those areas like uh, one of those areas could be the Nephilim and Genesis six. It could be Job. When did that occur? And, and what was kind of the time frame of that? And some of the things that are there are hotly debated by scholars. And, and that's really the purpose of this particular podcast. And it's going to be called Fringes of the Faith. So since this is Holy Week, Pastor Parkey, mm -hmm. I thought we would dive into something called the crucifixion. Yes. And as we all know, um, when you think of the crucifixion of Jesus, um, you know, people have images in their mind. What do you think about Pastor Parkey? Well, I think the most iconic image of the crucifixion of, is, of course, the cross. Uh, you know, the cross has become a symbol of Christianity as a whole. But uh, I think when you, when your mind goes to the to the crucifixion and everything that happened, that you kind of center on that image of the cross. Mm -hmm. I've heard um, some some people uh, they after seeing the movie The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's movie that that with after that movie, they begin to picture the scourging that he took at the, the post and how violent that that was mm -hmm. depicted. And so what, what I'd like to do is, is let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, let's talk about Mel Gibson's movie, Passion of the Christ. Now, if you haven't seen it, it it's a very, very good movie. Um, it's very, very dramatic and, and very powerful. And even as dramatic and as powerful as that movie is, it still doesn't fully convey how much mental and physical suffering that Jesus endured, um, not just physical suffering, mm -hmm. but also mental anguish as well. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's the best movie probably that's ever been done, uh, arguably, about what Jesus went through that reflects that. But there are a lot of things that we need to stop and we need to reflect on and chew on. And while doing that, it opens a door up for us to understand uh, how Jesus delivered us uh, by his own suffering. And so that's one of the goals of what we're going to be doing is just talking about this in an effort for you to be able to understand it and have a deeper revelation of what Jesus went through to bring you liberty. That's good. Um, and so in this episode, the very first episode of the podcast, Fringes of the Faith, we're going to be walking through the crucifixion and instead of starting at the cross or starting at the scourging 
um, we're going to take a journey that's going to begin at the Last Supper. But before we do that, the way that we're going to look at this um, in this episode is through a forensic lens. And, and what I mean by that is forensic pathology is a medical field that determines the methods that were used to cause suffering and death due to violent acts. Mm -hmm. And so when, when, uh, when there's a murder that takes place, the homicide detectives are called out and they gather all of the evidence. Well, the body itself is evidence. And what uh, forensic pathology does, it, it examines the condition of the body. It examines the potential things that, that may have caused the body to become injured and eventually resulting in death. Yes. And that, that's what coroners use. But forensic pathology even goes a little bit farther than the coroner. So it tries to explain. It comes to conclusions mm -hmm. on how someone uh, died. Yeah. And they call a lot of those things they call evidence. <laughs> that is. And so that's one of the things we want to do is talk about evidences of what Jesus went through. Look at some things in particular and transfer that evidence into your own life so that you can experience everything Jesus wanted you to experience. Right. And, and so there has been some arguments, mm -hmm. Pastor, that Jesus never really died, <laughs> that uh, they took him off the cross. He was still alive. Mm -hmm. um, but it's through this pathology, this forensic lens that we look at, that we are going to learn by the time we get through with this, there is no way, no way that a normal human would have been able to survive not just the scourging, but but the crucifixion itself that Jesus endured. And there is evidence and we can go through that. So, yeah. you know, hold on, buckle in, because we're going to start this journey. Now, well, most people start at the scourging. Mm -hmm. We're not going to start there. We're going to start at the Last Supper. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Let's join them. So first of all, let's think about this for a second. You are gathered in a room with all of your closest friends, your brothers, those that have traveled with you and walked with you and have seen you do miraculous things, heal people, mm -hmm. drive out demons. They know that there is something special about you. And most of them mm -hmm. believe that, that you are actually the son of God. And so you're surrounded by these people. They're, they're your best friends in the entire world. And now you're with them and you know, you know, because you're the Lord that every single one of them at some point will abandon you. Mm -hmm. But even that night during the last supper, someone at that table is not only going to abandon you, but they're going to deliver you over into the hands of the Romans to be tortured. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's, you put yourself in Jesus place. I mean, I think uh, that's one of the ways that you really learn uh, is to put yourself, insert yourself into the story. And, that had to have been very difficult, although we know the Lord knew ahead of time what was going to happen. From a human standpoint, that had to have been very hard. I mean, every single one of us have experienced betrayal. Mm -hmm. But to be betrayed by someone you had poured into their life, that, that you had poured into them with an expectation, even though you knew what was going to happen, that pouring into someone's life you're hoping will bring forth a positive fruit, a godliness, right. yes. a holiness being set apart. But here Jesus is, one of his closest uh, associates is the one that actually would betray him. I think we could understand if it was someone else outside that circle. 
But, um, you know, having someone very, very close betray you uh, is, is even more difficult. And there's been a lot of people out here that, uh, you know, that are listening and watching that have had someone betray them. That's been very close. And so, you know, this is maybe something, a part of this story that's very, very special for, to you. Yes. As a matter of fact, if you're older than 10 years old, yeah. you've probably been betrayed at oh, some yeah. point by yeah. a friend or right. a family exactly. member. And so we know, and here's one of the other arguments, Pastor, is that, well, Jesus was God. So he, he, he had a different standard when it came to his human body, mm -hmm. that he really wasn't experiencing the same human emotions. And, and so what do we know about Jesus? Uh, well, we know that he was born into humanity by a human woman, mm -hmm. Mary. And so we know that he faced temptations. He was in the desert for 40 days and facing those temptations. And we know that that's that's. You know, we have the, the Bible that tells us right. that. But we also know that he felt compassion and love um, when he wept at the first funeral of Lazarus. Right. Lazarus. So we know that. And if those emotions and temptations were not real, in other words, uh, you know, they could not actually affect him, draw him, then they uh, then there's no point in them. You know, you have to understand that Satan would not have thrown out something to Jesus that he didn't think uh, would be effective. Right. And so uh, in, in Jesus' humanness, uh, all of these temptations and all of these things that, that he experienced, uh, they were real, uh, you know, in the sense that he felt emotion about them, uh, that he felt in some form or fashion, the, the same things that we would feel if we were if we were confronted with those things. And, you know, the 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 best part about that mm -hmm. is that when we are when we are feeling those same emotions, whether it's we've been betrayed, mm -hmm. um, someone has hurt us, that we have someone that can identify with those emotions who actually went through those same things. Yeah, it says in the Bible that that he can identify with our weaknesses yet without sin. And both of those are very important to you and I. I mean, because we are really tempted. So it helps us to know that Christ was really tempted. Those temptations were real. Those feelings were real. So he can identify with that. He's not looking down on us because of that. But on the other side, the Bible says he did that without sin. And so, therefore, no matter what we face, we always know that we can overcome that because he was able to. That's right. And so as, as we start to progress through this, mm -hmm. through this crucifixion process, that's why I really wanted to start at the Last Supper yeah. to, really, to really drive home the point that Jesus in his humanity experienced all of the same emotions and all of the hurt and all of the sadness, all of the heartbreaks that all of us have faced in our lives. Mm -hmm. Yes, he has. And I think that's one of the beauties uh, of, of the life of Jesus. One of the things that's the most beautiful is, to, is the relatability. You know, while he is the son of God and, and we worship him, there is also that aspect that he came to earth and took on our frame. And that caused that caused us to have a point of reference and, um, and relatability mm -hmm. in which we can relate to him 
and 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 make a connection with him. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so let's go back for a second to the upper room. Okay. And let's look at Jesus with all of his friends, his closest friends. And now here's Judas. He's being betrayed. And that is one of the most emotionally hurtful and painful experiences. But yet Jesus knew. He knew that all of his disciples, those that were closest to him, would abandon him that night. And one of them, like we said, Judas, he would hand him over to be beaten and to be tortured and really to be hung Mm-hmm. on a tree which we know from judaism was a curse yes so being hung on a tree is a, is a cursed way to die yeah. they reserve those things for the most uh you know worst of the worst right and you know it's debatable uh whether judas did this uh wanting jesus uh, to to be crucified i personally believe that from the scriptures we can look at that and say no that that wasn't the intended outcome but it just goes to show what can happen when mankind tries to dive in and begin to interfere in the work of God. That Judas, uh, trying to manipulate outcomes in some form or fashion, decided that he betrayal might cause Jesus to reveal himself or to, to come back and, and, and that division between he and the priesthood be, be healed or be done away with. And so... Yeah, so, you know, uh, we don't need to try to help God along. And, it's uh, good. you know, we need to allow uh, his purposes to flow, even when we don't understand them. Yeah, that, and that's good. And, and that, I'm so glad you brought that up about did Judas, was Judas's intent to bring about Jesus revealing himself to the world as the king and as the Messiah? Uh, I mean, that, that's something that most people miss. They don't, they don't really think about it that way. They just think, well, Judas was uh, a thief mm-hmm. and he was looking for the, the money. You know, what was in it for him to betray Jesus? But that's a very good point. I mean, who knows? Well, I think, you know, uh, you were talking about uh, pathology and crimes and everything earlier. I, I, one of the ways people solve, solve crimes is to look at motive. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you have to ask what, what would Judas have gained other than the 30 pieces of silver if Jesus was crucified? And, and I think you, you have to say not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, we know that he repented when he saw Jesus was condemned. I don't think he meant it to go that far. Right. But he still got involved and, and ended up uh, being used by the enemy uh, to actually fulfill a plan of God. Uh, but, uh, but, but, you know, the thing about it is, is, uh, he, he, when you look at motive, I don't think he had any real desire to see it go all the way through Jesus death. Right. Right. And so here we are, uh, the Passover, the Seder dinner is, is over. Um, Jesus tells Judas, go do what you must do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Judas leaves, he departs and, and the, and the Seder dinner is now concluding. And so he knew what was next. Jesus knows what's coming next. And so think about his mental state at this point. He, he has to be under some form, leaving that, um, leaving the upper room, some form of, of distress and stress going on, thinking about uh, knowing that the next phase is about to begin. Well, yeah. And, and you know, we're not quite in the garden yet, but, but, you can see the fulfillment of that in the garden. Mm. And uh, we know, we know scripture tells us 
that Jesus went through a heavy, heavy emotional mm -hmm. ordeal uh, because of his understanding of what was coming. And that's a very, very different Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, that's a very different Jesus than, than we have been introduced to um, up to this point. Yeah. But, you know, as you read the Gospels, you see this holy Jesus. And we have we have this tendency to just look at him in, in this awe of holiness, of course, which is appropriate because because he is. But we really begin to see uh, the effect of his humanness as as we go through the events leading up to the crucifixion. And I'm not saying there was any sin at all involved there. He, he never sinned. But we just see uh, the effect of, uh, of agreeing to go through the will of God and the, the effect that that had upon his humanness. And, you know, that's, that's a good point of relation for us because sometimes to say yes to the will of God for us is an emotional experience. It's a tough experience. And, and, and so we can relate to Jesus. That helps us sometimes when we're having to make a very hard decision to say yes to God. But it helps us by looking at, at the Lord and what he went through and to see that just because we're fighting with our emotions doesn't mean that we're sinning. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Just because our emotions are saying no doesn't mean we sin. Sometimes we say yes in the midst of all that. Right, right. And so you mentioned the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. So let's pick it up there. Uh, so Jesus and his disciples have left the upper room and they're walking into this Garden of Gethsemane. And Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 31, they, it describes this different type of Jesus. Now Jesus shows his humanity. It says um, that Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a second. Yeah. Jesus, mm -hmm. the Lord, mm -hmm. is showing manifestations of distress and being troubled. Yes. Um, and so he calls Peter, James, and John over to stand watch while he went on a little bit further to pray. And here's something that I miss. I, I got I to be honest. I miss this for years and years and years until uh, we were preparing for this. Mm. And this is when I caught it. It says that um, as he went a little further to pray, that something happened. Something happened. And, and it's not typical for this to happen, especially for someone that's Jew uh, Jewish. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Jesus fell mm. to the ground to pray. Yeah, that's so true. Because... Um, the Jews, especially uh, when you're thinking about the Jewish men, um, they did not pray on the ground. Right. Uh, they always stand and pray. Uh, so you never, you never see a Jewish uh, man praying to God prostrate mm -hmm. on the ground. Mm -hmm. And so that is a very different thing. And that should have caught the attention. It should have caught the attention of Peter, James, and John that were there. They were closest to him when this happened because it, that is extremely unusual. Mm -hmm. And that also tells us the part of his humanity is now beginning to really manifest in the physical realm. The fact that Jesus fell to the ground and prayed indicates the level of anguish mm -hmm. and stress that he was beginning to experience. I mean, 
you think about it, his human body uh, is now racked with human emotions. Yes. And it starts to break down. You know, it's like when my knees became weak, my knees started to shake. Um, and you see when people faint, you see that, that collapsing that happens. And that's because of this severe shock to their system, this distress that they feel. Now, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Jesus is God. He's yes. the Lord. But he's also experiencing these human emotions and these human uh, physical effects. Yes. And I think, I, I really think and I really believe, and I think you would agree with me, is that he experienced all of these things, like what we said in the beginning, so that we know that we have someone that intercedes on our behalf, that knows our temptations, that knows all of our emotions and that has experienced every single one of those. I agree completely. You know, just a couple of comments uh, about Jesus falling on the ground and then the emotional aspect of what was going on. One being that I think that Jesus falling on the ground and praying, releasing formality, if you will, is also a sign to us uh, of intimacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't about form between he and his father. It was about heart cry to God. And, and so I think we, that's part of what we see there as well. And then looking at the, uh, the emotional ordeal, what he was going through was very essential to us because it lets us know it was real. Right. It was real because what right. you go through, all of you that are watching, listening, what you go through is real. And if this were all just a, a play, it was just not really real, then you're, you have no hope for deliverance from these things. And so Jesus, what we see going on in him lets us know uh, that this was real. Uh, the, um, the impact of what was going to happen and what was happening was real mm, to him. He understood it. He understood the cost he was going to have to pay. And, and, uh, you know, and so therefore when we look at that and we're feeling so emotional and so something is really attacking us, then we can look at Jesus and say, he knows what I'm feeling mm-hmm. and I can make it through this because he did. Right. Amen. And so I'm going to say something here that, mm-hmm. that people are going to probably either not disagree with or it may shock them a little bit. Yeah. But what Jesus was experiencing at this moment when he collapses the ground is a human panic attack. Well, I'll tell you what, if it wasn't a panic attack, it was right on the border. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that any any modern day doctor that would have had the opportunity to to go back in time and examine Jesus at that point in time would have would have come away with that diagnosis that he was under such stress that his body was responding in such a way uh, that shows that he was in a panic attack and you know that blesses me uh, because I I had panic attacks before I was saved mm-hmm. And, and I tell you, uh, knowing that Jesus knows how that feels, because anybody out here, and I know we're talking to a lot of people that have had them, anybody out here knows that one of the voices you hear in your head when you're having something like that is, this is weird, this is unusual, nobody's going through this but you. Mm-hmm. And to know that your Savior knows how you feel when those things are happening is of great comfort to us. Um, I've experienced maybe two full-fledged panic attacks in my life, and both of those 
were when after I was saved and a believer. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about when I think back on those experiences, I knew I knew the Lord. I knew the Lord was in control. I knew all of these things, but my body and my emotions kind of kind of started to take over and, and physically manifest itself mm -hmm. into that attack. And so I even though, you know, we look at Jesus and we say, well, why would he panic? I don't mean panic in a way of, oh, my gosh, what's what's going to happen? I don't right. know the outcome. When I say panic attack, I'm, what I'm talking about is the fight or flight syndrome that our body goes through when we're when we're faced with a crisis. Oh, yeah. There are chemical reactions uh, that begin to happen in the body. And here's the thing. Jesus didn't go uh, through this feeling, through this panic attack because of something he thought could happen. He went through that because something that was going to happen, exactly. he knew mm -hmm. it was going to happen. You know, sometimes we go through panic attacks because we're worried about what's coming. Maybe, you know, it, it might manifest actually, and it might not. But just thinking it will sets off that chemical reaction in our body. Right. So let's talk about that for a minute, because that is the, that is the uh, evidence that we that we can look to mm -hmm. now in in a court of law behavior mm -hmm. can be admitted into evidence especially if it's behavior that's contrary to someone's normal state so let's talk about um those chemical influences if you will um, of what his body his human body was experiencing so we know that he collapsed to the ground and, and he prayed um and that was very unusual mm -hmm. that's number one that means his knees probably gave way. He, he collapsed to the ground and, and his heart was racing. Um, mm -hmm. We'll explain how we know that in a minute. But his heart was racing. His blood began to retreat from all of his all of his all of his non vital organs. In other words, to supply more blood to the brain and more blood to the vital organs, such as the kidneys and the lungs. That happens. That is called mm -hmm. the fight or flight syndrome in the human body. It dumps adrenaline into your system in order to help you operate with the with a loss of blood supply um, because it's all being funneled somewhere else. And, and, and in this, you know that he experienced a heavy chest, probably having difficulty breathing. Mm -hmm. How do we know this? Because it says he was sweating profusely. Mm -hmm. and, and this is there's no other way to describe it than a full blown anxiety not about not what was going to happen about what his physical body was about to experience exactly mm -hmm. and you know there are things there are things that jesus knew about what was coming that sometimes we don't always think about you know we would have been in a flu full-blown panic attack just thinking about what you were going to go through physically mm -hmm. and certainly that's legit <laughs> but you know was the Lord also thinking about what was going to happen spiritually to him? That's good. And, uh, you know, was, was there going to be, what was it going to occur to him? What was going to occur when, when he actually became the point of contact for, for sin, when God put his hand on Jesus and, and just like they used to do the scapegoat and put his hand on the Lord and, and, and professed all the sins of mankind upon him. You know, he, he, once again, that was, that's another thing that had to have been going through his mind at that time. 
Absolutely. And so what does Jesus do next? Um, in out of this this attack, this this I hate using the word panic, but that really in modern day that's what it would have been referred to. This panic attack, what does he do next? Because what he does shows us a pattern of how we can respond when we're facing those same emotional crises. So out of this panic attack, Jesus cries out to his father and he asks of his father that this death sentence pronounced on him be pardoned. So in other words, he's saying, can you remove this from me? But here's here's the key point. He cries out Mm -hmm. to his father. Mm -hmm. He doesn't look inward and say, well, I'm going to take care of this myself. Uh, He doesn't look to others. He doesn't look over at Peter and James and John and says, hey, guys, can you help me out here? I'm, I'm having some difficulties. He goes straight to his father. And yeah. so I think that's, that's an important illustration for us of, yes. of how do, what is the, the, what should we do when we're experiencing these same emotions? Well, I, I agree, you know, an introspective, an introspective process as well as a conversation with the Lord is always a good first response to a crisis situation. You know, Lord, is there anything that I've done? And of course we know Jesus had not, there was no sin that was causing his situation. But you know, that's not a bad question to ask sometimes when we're going through a crisis situation and then to talk to the Lord and mm-hmm. say, Lord, what's what's going on here? And uh, Jesus uh, did what any of us would would do in that situation, which is, Lord, if there's another way uh, out of, to, to, to accomplish your purpose here, uh, I'm asking for that. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of reflects prayers that we pray sometimes. It does. Lord, uh, can you, will you do this? Will you do this? And, and it shows us again that those kind of prayers are okay but the Lord came back and he said, but not my will. I don't want to orchestrate the outcome here. Your will be done. And that set a pattern for us and how we handle those same type of situations. Absolutely. And, and really, when you think about that, he, he does. Jesus reflects his humanity mm-hmm. when he says, uh, you know, Lord, is there another way? Mm-hmm. Can, can you deliver me from this death sentence is what it is. Mm-hmm. He's facing the death penalty. So can you deliver me from this death penalty? That was his flesh. That was his humanity speaking. But then his spirit, the Holy Spirit, then said, yet not what I will, but what you will. That's the Holy Spirit yes. that gives us the strength in these crises to be able to say, Lord, I know I'm going through this and I I would love to be delivered from it if you can do that. But if not, then I know that you will give me the strength to persevere through it. It's an important point for everybody out here to remember for us and for everyone else is the fact that we have the same spirit that operated in Christ within us. Okay, now sometimes the devil will come to you and say, well, there was there's something unique about Jesus, unique about him that caused him to be able to go through this. But you don't have that same ability. Right. But you have the same spirit within you that can say yes and will say yes to the will of God. And you can submit to that just like Jesus did. Right. So Luke 22 um, describes 
that after Jesus had prayed this, and, and here's here's kind of the point too to illustrate is that after Jesus cries out to his father, and first he asks, you know, if he can be delivered, but then he says, Not my will, your will be done, Lord. Right after that, Luke says that an angel appeared to Jesus and strengthened him. Mm-hmm. And it was at this instant that the panic attack had subsided. It was yeah. at that instant when he cried out to God and he surrendered his will yeah. to the Lord's will, to his Father's will, that peace, the peace of, that passes all understanding enters into the picture. Exactly, and that same thing can happen to all of us. Okay, And when, when that peace began to come and that ministry from heaven began to happen, the, the situation had not changed. But the, but the prayer had changed. Mm-hmm. And you know what? We, by saying yes to the will of God. And, and there is something that God pours out into us when we say yes to him that brings peace even in the midst of a situation that has not physically or circumstantially changed yet. Did you know that it's this sense of peace, this all of a sudden sense of peace that Jesus felt is what actually caused the sweat of his brow to appear as blood. Well, tell us about it. So Luke describes sweat pouring off of Jesus, looking like drops of blood. And and a lot of people say impossible that that's, this proves the story is fake news Mm -hmm. uh, because that never heard of that happening before in my life. Never seen it. Never seen it happen before. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's look at the forensic pathology. Let's see, is this possible, and why would it occur at the moment that it did when peace entered into Jesus' reality? The event that Jesus experienced in the garden uh, was traumatic. It was mentally traumatic, Um, and we know that from his disposition, his behavior, everything that we've talked about up to this point. And what he experienced medically is known as hematidrosis. And hematidrosis is associated with a severe anxiety reaction, severe anxiety, mm-hmm. triggered um, not, I mean, it, it, the definition is triggered by fear, but another, a better word for that would be triggered by apprehension, mm-hmm. not necessarily fear. Mm-hmm. And so how does this occur medically? Well, in the human body, there exists two types of sweat glands. There's the exocrine, and then there's the endocrine or apocrine. The exocrine are the primary sweat glands, and they're distributed all over the surface of the body. I mean, there are like two million of these glands, and these are the glands that excrete perspiration to cool the body down when it becomes overheated. So what happens during a severe anxiety attack is that um, you start to sweat profusely. Uh, and it, the medical term for that is called diaphoresis. Diaphoresis. I'll take your word for diaphoresis. it. Diaphoresis. Mm-hmm. Well, I know this because I had a, a nurse tell me I was diaphoretic one time. Oh, yeah. Because I was sweating mm-hmm. profusely. And, it, and what that means is that um, it's excessive abnormal sweating in opposition to the current physical uh, elements elements that, that are taking place. Yeah. So if, if you're sweating profusely and you're sweating because you're lying in bed and it's not fever, 
but you may be experiencing some severe anxiety, that sweating doesn't really line up with your physical activity level. Exactly. We know it was cool. Right. The night that Jesus was betrayed mm -hmm. because Peter uh, warmed himself at the fire. That's right. That's right. It's a good point. Um, and so Jesus was sweating profusely without engaging in really any physical activity. Mm -hmm. That just that further illustrates the amount of uh, mental anguish that he was going through, um, that, that his body was reacting to. And he was experiencing all of these real human elements. And so we've talked about fight or flight. So this type of anxiety produces that reaction. And really what that means, fight or flight, is it's an uh, autonomic, trying to remember, mm -hmm. autonomic nervous system. Your autonomic nervous system kick, kicks in. What does that mean, autonomic? It means without you doing anything. Right. It's, it it's means it has autonomy. It operates as it does without any of our thought processes or anything like that. It just kicks in. And so when this autonomic nervous system, when this autonomic nervous system kicks in, it controls two different things. And really, they're opposed to one another. And the reason I'm explaining this is because it... it, it it's going to relate to the hematidrosis, mm -hmm. the sweat that, that became blood that Luke describes. And so the autonomic nervous system, there are two types of controls, the sympathetic division and then the parasympathetic division. Um, and they counter one another. The sympathetic division increases the heart rate during excitement, pumps the blood faster, mm -hmm. right? That's the, that is um, the sympathetic activates the sweat glands to cool off right. the body that is becoming overheated. Mm -hmm. The parasympathetic division deactivates the sweat glands. So you've got your human emotion, your anxiety that's rising up. You begin to sweat profusely. You're having a panic attack. Your sympathetic control system kicks in and, and activates all of your sweat glands. Somebody out there saying, so that's what ha is happening to me. Yeah, right now. Yeah. <laughs> right, well, this very minute. Yeah, or that's, what ha that's how that works then. That's what happens to me when I get go through this panic. Right. And then at the same time, the parasympathetic division, when that panic is over, deactivates those sweat glands. Mm -hmm. So remember the exocrine sweat gland. The exocrine sweat gland consists of all of these tubular coiled glands that are wrapped around all of these blood vessels, these there's hundreds of blood vessels that these glands wrap themselves around. And it's these tubules of the exocrine sweat gland that carries the sweat, the perspiration to the outside of the body. Mm -hmm. Are you with me so far? Yeah, Am I being confused? No, Confusing? I've got okay. it. All right. So here's what happens. I've lived through it. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Here's what happens during this fight or flight syndrome, this anxiety, severe anxiety or panic attack. The sympathetic division of the nervous system is activated and adrenaline like chemicals called catecholamines, they're produced and those chemicals accelerate the heart rate. They constrict the blood vessels to raise blood pressure and divert blood away from the skin. Mm -hmm. this, this is going to become important here in a minute away from the skin and the non-essential areas of the brain. Have you ever told someone, boy, what's wrong? You're, you look white as a ghost. Yeah. Yeah, when I, uh, you know, I said I had those panic attacks before I was saved. I actually had some after I was saved too. And my wife would look at me and she would say, you know, you're not doing well. And I, and I would
would say, well, how do you know? She'd say, well, I can, I can tell you're pale. You're, you're white as a sheep. Right. And then, you know, when people say, um, you look like you've seen a ghost. Mm -hmm. and that That's where that expression yeah, comes from. In that case, I was the ghost. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so this diversion of blood causes the surface of the skin to become pale, um, to, to really look white. Mm -hmm. That's what is happening. All of your blood is being diverted from your skin to the, which is considered a non-vital organ, diverted to your vital organs. And so you lose blood in your face. So if the blood is moving away from your face, then why did Jesus sweat drops of blood? Okay, here, that's a good point. And that's what we're getting to. So Jesus experienced severe anxiety, right? We know that from yeah. his behavior. We know that from the profuse sweating. And so he's going through this fight or flight reaction, which lasted for hours. We're not talking about this happened in, in you know, a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. This yeah. went on yeah. through the night. Um, so it was happening for hours and all of this was accumul accumulating in his body. All the blood was being diverted. He cries out to God. He cries out to his father and he surrenders his will to the situation. Mm -hmm. The angel appears, ministers to him. And now the peace all of a sudden rushes back in. Mm -hmm. And it's that that all of a sudden rush of the sweat glands. And, and, and his blood coming back to the surface of his skin, the endocrine glands picked up the droplets of blood, the blood, and it, it excreted it out of his sweat glands mm -hmm. into the surface of the skin. That is medically known as hematidrosis. And you know it's been documented? Mm -hmm. Yeah, over and over and over again. That's the thing that people need to understand is this wasn't a one time event in humanity. I mean, this yeah. has happened to people. It's 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 not always the norm that happens, but it has happened in many people's situations uh, around the world. It's well documented. Mm -hmm. I mean, even today. Yeah. And you know where they found this to occur most where? often? Where? On death row. Wow. For prisoners that used to face the electric chair. Wow. This is where it yeah, was documented I the most is that on their way. I mean, as they're walking down the hall, their final moments of life, they know they're going to be faced with the with electrocution. That's when they have documented this hematidrosis wow. syndrome. Makes sense. Now, how does that relate to Jesus? What he was experiencing? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I know some of you think, well, it's hard to relate a, a criminal <laughs> to to the Lord. But but in the humanity, uh, you you can't. And Jesus, uh, the relation there, what I'm trying to say, the relation mm -hmm. there is the relation of the knowing of a certainty of what is about to come mm -hmm. and the effect that that causes upon you. Right. And all of these physical elements, all of these physical effects that this distress and the stress and the anxiety has had on him isn't even the tip of the iceberg yet. Yeah. We haven't even gotten there yet. And so... Uh, what this does to the human body is it causes weakness. Very much it so. It causes dehydration. Yeah. It causes a condition called hypovolemia, mm -hmm. which is loss of fluids because of the professed sweating, the profuse sweating, I mean. Um, and all of these things it causes. But Jesus, at this point, as Lord, mm -hmm. no longer experiencing or no longer expressing his human, um, his humanness, 
He stands up. He gets up off the ground. And he conquers all of those human reactions and responses to his impending death. Mm -hmm. He overcame all of them. Yeah. Uh, just like he did in the desert, uh, just when he was being tempted. Yeah. Um, he overcomes and he doesn't fail. He doesn't sin. And that is so important for all of us because it tells us, it tells you that no matter how severe the battle, that through Jesus and through submission to his spirit, you can win this battle, regardless of the rage of emotions, regardless of, of what you're feeling. You can say yes to the Lord and you, just like he did, you can win your battle no matter how severe. You know, I, I kind of feel like um, that there may be someone out there right now that's watching this that is going through a, a major battle that, mm -hmm. that is experiencing panic attacks and, and they don't know what to do. They don't know where to turn. Yeah. Would you think about praying for them right now? Sure. I will. I just want to let you know that, boy, I can relate to that. I can relate to what it's like to live under severe stress and anxiety. And there's something else that we haven't really talked about there. There, uh, there are triplets really that go together with that thing. Uh, if you're if you're experiencing on a long term and that's depression, yes. you know, anxiety uh, uh, and depression uh, go together. They're two sisters that live in the same house. And uh, and so I, I want let me pray for you. I know what it's like to have severe emotional struggles regarding life and regarding something that's happening. Now, the good news is Jesus Christ of Nazareth experienced the same thing that you're going through, and he overcame, and so can you through that same spirit. Let's pray for him, Pastor. Yes. Father, we, we come to you today, and we lift up our brothers and sisters out there that are going through a struggle. Some of them may, may not be going through it right now, but this is, this is information they will carry forward with them for the next battle that may be coming. And God, I, I say over my brother and sister, you will not be yes. defeated. Yes. Your emotions will not destroy you. You yes. will overcome as you say yes to the Father. And Lord, your will be done in my life. I, I speak over you that you will receive the same ministry from heaven that Jesus did himself. And you will also walk in the same victory. Now be healed and be at peace in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If that's you, um, if, if you prayed this prayer and you're experiencing any kind of panic attacks, feel free to just reach out to us. That's what we're here for. Um, you can contact us at the, at the church office. You can get on our website. Yes. There's a contact form you can fill out, and we'd love to hear from you. Mm -hmm. And we'd love to help you. We'd love to walk with you through this because you're not alone. You're never alone. Right. You're never alone. That's exactly right. And so when we look back at the garden and we look at everything that was going on, and we talked about Jesus ex expressing his humanity through the same emotions that we express, and now he stands up and, and he conquers all of those emotions. And he overcomes them all. And here comes the mob as he does this. I mean, do you think it's coincidence, <clears throat> excuse me, that all of this has happened at the timing that it does? Mm. 
No, not at all. Because the Lord went through this for your sake, brothers and sisters. And, and he, he had to, the timing had to work out so that he could fully experience it in such a way that you experience it so that you would know that you could relate to him because he's been through it and so that you could know you can make it through victoriously yourself. Amen. So the mob enters the garden yeah. with swords and clubs, which is amazing to me. Just like Jesus said, it makes total sense. You know, I taught in your synagogues. Mm -hmm. And you, you, I, why do you come after me like I'm a criminal? Yes. Um, but they, they enter the garden and his betrayal is complete. He's hauled off. His disciples abandon him for the most part. Most of them do. And his journey to Calvary at this point officially begins. Yeah. And that's where we'll pick up next time. Uh, you know, we're going to uh, to pick up from, from the garden and what happens after Jesus leaves the garden. Uh, and uh, so we're looking forward to visiting with you and having some time with you discussing that.